Hi there, I'm Keaton. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting River Connect. That's one word to the number 97,000. You can also head to our website, theriverchurch.cc, to learn more about us in upcoming events. Lastly, if you want to give to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or head to our website and click the Give tab. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you're a guest, welcome. Glad you're here. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to share with someone that is sitting next to you. Or you can take out your smartphone. You can download a Bible app or the River Church app. And there's a Bible feature on there. But I want you to see the Word of God for yourself. A lot of Scripture uh, that we're going to look at today. Two big chunks of Scripture that we're going to read through. Stories. And so I want to encourage you to be able to uh, see that together. Over the last couple weeks, we have been just beginning the sermon by saying, reciting, praying the Lord's Prayer together. And I want to do that again today as we look at another portion of the Lord's Prayer. So let's stand together, and it's going to be on the screen here. And we're just going to take a moment to think about it, to um, quiet our hearts before the Lord. It's important when we read something like this or when we say something like this, It's familiar for a lot of us, and one of the reasons that I chose to do the New King James Version is because it is uh, not super similar to those of us who grew up maybe with these and the vows of the Lord's Prayer, so it engages our minds a little bit more, uh, causes us, at least for me, uh, to focus. And so let's just pause, and we'll kind of align our hearts, quiet our hearts before the Lord, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer uh, together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Grab a seat. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 12. We looked at verse 11 and 13 last week, and you'll see in a moment while we, why we skipped verse 12. But here in the ESV, it's translated, and, we, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Down in verse 14 and 15, right after the the model prayer or what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The verse here begins in 12, and it is directed corporately, but directed towards the Lord. It is directed towards our Heavenly Father being the source of forgiveness, being the one who can pardon our sin. 
This morning, as we gathered to pray, we have some folks who gather together in here at 9 o'clock every Sunday to pray. I was praying knowing that there are some of you in here, or maybe you're watching online, who came in today with a heavy burden of sin. You know as a person that you and God, I want to say this as clearly as possible, aren't good. That you have a, a, a sin burden that is heavy on your shoulders. You feel maybe a lot of guilt or a lot of shame, a lot of pain from that sin. And I hope that when you leave here today, you'll know that the God of heaven can forgive you of all of your sins, that you can find forgiveness today. Some of you in here, though, came forgiven by your heavenly Father, but you came in needing to forgive someone else. There's a deep uh, struggle in your heart when it comes to pardoning or forgiving someone who's hurt you. And when we we talk about those things, I want you to know that um, forgiveness is not pretending that pain isn't real. Forgiveness is never saying, hey, it's no big deal. Forgiveness is not erasing consequences or the need for justice. Forgiveness is not pretending that everything is fine now and we're good. As we're going to see in the scripture, the Lord, in the Lord's Prayer, says we are to pray, Father, forgive us our debts like we or in the same way as we are forgiving others. So our forgiveness of each other is meant to model, is meant to reflect the way that the Heavenly Father has forgiven us. And so before we understand how to forgive each other, we first need to understand how the Heavenly Father has offered us forgiveness. So I want you to hold your spot in Matthew chapter 5. Go back into the Old Testament to a very important verse, Exodus chapter number 34. So the second book in the Old Testament So Genesis and then Exodus, Exodus 34. Take your time and get there, whether you're on your phone or whether you have a paper Bible. Exodus 34, verse number six and seven. This is a key verse in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, it is quoted multiple times. Portions of it are quoted many, many times throughout the Old Testament. And the context here is that the people of God, the people, the children of Israel, have sinned against God. So Moses, their leader, has gone up to the mountain and he has met with God. He's received the Ten Commandments and some other things. He's come down from the mountain, and as he's doing that, he realizes the people have abandoned God, and they've really raced into madness. They've raced into idolatry. All types of sexual immorality are happening. And so Joshua, Moses' assistant, says, man, it sounds like there's a party or something wild is uh, is is happening down in the camp. And so Moses comes down, and he sees that the people have abandoned faithfulness to God. And so uh, Moses, days later, is going to go back up and meet with God. 
and he asks some things of God, and then God introduces himself. And I want you to see the character of God. In verse number six, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is what God says about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands or thousand generations. Here's the part I want you to take particular note of. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So here we see really a summary of the character of God. And there in the middle of the passage, we see God is a God who is merciful, God who is God who is gracious, God is one who is slow to anger. He is overwhelming, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness for thousand generations and forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So God is a God who is willing to forgive. Go to the right a little bit more to the book of Psalms, Psalm I'll start in verse 11 because that's where the sentence really begins. David says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you jump back to 103, verse number 3, verse 2 and 3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. Now you can go back to Matthew chapter 6. While you're turning there, I'm going to read to you Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. The prophet says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least to them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, God is a God who is willing to forgive, but I want you to hear this. Oftentimes, we settle for what I call a caricature of God. And you'll hear people say this. If God is so loving, why doesn't he just erase sin? And what we're essentially saying in in slightly disrespectful terms is, if God is so loving, why doesn't he just get over it? And we fail to understand the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, is also he is a just God. He's also a loving God. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. And so how does a righteous God forgive sin? When Jesus came into the world, 
The scripture tells us that he who knew no sin. The writer of Hebrews says he was tempted as all points like we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus lived a sinless life. And then around 33 years of age, he went to the cross of Calvary. It's important that you know that it was not the Romans who put Jesus there or the Jews who put Jesus there. It was Jesus who willingly laid down his life. And the Bible says to be the payment or the the classical word propitiation, the payment for our sin. And John says not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. And so Jesus, when he comes to earth, even John the Baptist identifies him and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what is sin? Sin is when we have violated God's holy law. And we may not have, in our perspective, broken this part of the law or that part of the law, but James says, whoever breaks one part of the law is accountable or guilty of all the law. So we stand before God, sinners, but we stand before a God who is righteous and holy and merciful and loving. So he makes it possible for us to be forgiven of our sin, not by erasing them or ignoring them, but taking the punishment for our sin and placing it upon his only begotten son. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, meaning comes to Christ and realizes he is the lamb of God, who God has taken the punishment of our sin, the chastisement of our sin, the punishment of our sin, the payment for our sin, the guilt of our sin, the shame of our sin, and placed it on Christ. If we will come to Jesus, The Bible says he loves us and he sent Christ and whoever believes in him should not perish, meaning perish, receive the just results, the just consequences of our sin. If we'll believe in Jesus, the consequences for our sin will be paid for by the son of God on the cross of Calvary. Now, if you're here and you're a believer, that ought to stir in your soul and in mine immense gratitude and joy and worship because you and I cannot pay the debt of our sin. That's why we acknowledge sin in the Lord's prayer as a debt. We owe God a debt that we could not pay. And so what did God do in his love and kindness for us? He made a way to pay the debt for us. And that's what Jesus did for us. Ephesians says it this way, in him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How does God forgive? He is loving, he is merciful, and he holds out in his kindness and his grace forgiveness, meaning a pardon of our sin, and we must receive that pardon of our sins. We must receive, as John 1.12 says, the work of Christ on the cross. Now here's what separates every single person in this room. There's only two groups of people. There are people that believe that you can be good enough to get to God, or there are people who, because of divine revelation of the Holy Spirit, know that we are sinners separated from God and can't be good enough, and we need a Savior. That's why Jesus is the Savior. 
And we proclaim him as the one for every young man in here, every young woman in here, you can receive the forgiveness of all of your sins. The Bible says by coming to Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you'll believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved means you'll be saved from the eternal, rightful consequences of your sin. That's how God forgives. He doesn't simply ignore sin. The punishment of our sin is placed upon Christ. Hold your spot in Matthew 6 and just turn over a few chapters to Matthew chapter number 18. It's an incredible parable that Jesus tells there. Beginning of verse 21, Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Peter says, as many as seven times. Now, through some different things, we believe that there was a popular teacher at the time of this story that was teaching three times. Like, it's incredibly gracious to forgive someone the third, three times after that, you're done. So three strikes and you're out type of rule. Peter doubles that and adds one and says, Lord, how many times if my brother sins against me, should I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So exponentially more than what you're, you're understanding or believing you're obligated to do. And then Jesus tells him the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So this is a, a simple story, a fictional story to help us understand heavenly things or the kingdom of heaven, as said there in verse 23. So a king wants to settle his accounts, his debts. People owe him some things. There's quite a few things that he is owed. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, just a quick note here, is a unit of money worth about 20 years of wages for a labor. Now, you don't have to take out your phone to do that math. That's a lot. So one talent is 20 years of your salary. Times that by 10,000. It's an impossibility to pay. It, it doesn't matter how many GoFundMe's you run, right? It doesn't matter how many friends you got. Like, hey, I need a couple bucks. I got to pay this. 20 years times 10,000 of your wages, that's it. It's, it's an impossible debt. So I think it's interesting that Jesus orders the story this way, that the king wants to settle his debts, and he goes, all right, who owes me the most? Oh, this guy owes me a ton. This guy is way indebted to me. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, no kidding, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have mercy on me and I will pay you everything. Not a chance. But he goes to the king and he says, have mercy on me, have patience with me. Verse 27 
and out of pity for him. Now, I think there's a couple types of pity here. Number one, there's pity that the guy is so in debt. And number two, I think the king is having pity because the guy thinks he can pay this. Like, no chance. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I just want you to put yourself in that servant's position for a moment. If you have debt on your shoulders, whether that's a mortgage or credit card debt or college debt, I mean, debt can be debilitating. Imagine having 20 years of your income times 10,000, and that's the reminder that keeps coming in email or in the mail every month. I mean, at a certain point, you're going to stop opening the email, you're going to stop opening the mail, and you're just going to be like, I, I can never pay that. All of a sudden, you get a phone call or the knock at the door. Hey, we just want to stop by. We saw your debt. And you owe like, you know, $10 million, $10 billion. We're going to let it go. Now, after you pass out and pick yourself up off the floor, you're going to say, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Yeah, we, we just decided out of pity, out of compassion for you, we're not going to take your house, we're not going to take your car, we're not going to start taking your wages, um, we're not going to take you to court, uh, you're free. God bless you, go live your life, have a great day. Just want to stop by and let you know that. Hey, what kind of mood are you going to be in? You're going to be in a good mood. You're going to be like, this is the greatest day of my life. No day. Well, look at the story. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So a denarii is a day's wage. So like, like comparatively speaking, pittance. So he sees this servant. Remember the mood you would be in, right? I'm in a great mood. I'm feeling super blessed, feeling super relieved. And Jesus frames this story that he runs into one of his fellow servants who owed him a few bucks. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, man, have you heard these words before? Have patience with me and I will pay you. Those echo the same words this man said to the king, but he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The story continues. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or to the tormentors until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So how does God forgive? We owe him a debt, a massive debt, an unpayable debt. 
And we come to God and we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in that simple prayer, we are forgiven our sin debt. Our sin debt is paid by the cross of Jesus Christ. So how are we to interact with other people? First, we are to embrace the forgiveness that God has offered to us through Christ. And then by being supplied that forgiveness, we are able to then be a conduit of forgiveness to other people. So how should we forgive? One author said, an unforgiving spirit shows an indifference to the greatest thing God did. I want you to hear this. Our willingness or our unwillingness to forgive is directly connected to how we view the gospel. It's directly connected. If we realize the magnitude of our sin debt, then we will keep a proper perspective of other people's offenses or sin to us. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we receive it and then we're able to deliver it. But C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. He says, forgiveness is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive. I'll read that slower. Forgiveness is a lovely idea. We all agree with that, right? Until someone hurts us. Until someone sins against us. Until someone wrongs us. Please hear me. Forgiveness with God and forgiveness with each other is not saying, hey, it's no big deal. Because many of you in here have endured real big deals. You've been wronged. You've been hurt. Someone has grievously sinned against you. So it's really important. Outside of the gospel, I think this is the most important part that I hope that you'll hear. Forgiveness is not saying, hey, that's no big deal. Forgiveness is not ignoring your pain or pretending it didn't happen. But Jesus warns there in the prayer For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let's hold our spot there and go to the right to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, in verse 3. Luke 17, 3, Jesus is speaking here. And there is a 
a warning to begin the passage. Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. Watch out, essentially, for what the Bible would later call a root of bitterness. Bitterness meaning a unwilling spirit, an unwillingness to forgive. Watch out, Jesus says, or pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, smack him. I know you're paying attention because you know that's not there. But seriously, seven times? Same thing? It's so weird when a fly lands on their head while you're preaching. I just pulled a Mr. Miyagi there and got that thing, though. 80s reference. Sorry, kids. I apologize. Verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I want you to see the pattern here. Jesus is laying this out because this is how the Father forgives us. This is how we are to forgive others. If your brother sins, if someone sins against you, rebuke him. Now, meaning, tell him. Sometimes we get so reckless in our sin, we don't even know what we did. I, I had the I, I sinned against one of our guys on our team this week, and it, the Lord just convicted me every day. And it's interesting that this was the sermon series and all these different things. So I had to call him this morning. Hey, man, I just need to tell you I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have responded that way. And he laughed. I was odd. Oh, I, I didn't even know I had to forgive anything. And I'm thinking, listen, my sin is not contingent on him knowing it. And vice versa. So if someone sins against us, what do we do? We go to them and we say, hey, you did this. Like you sinned against me. And I know there's a lot of complexities there, so don't, don't, don't uh, make that easier. I'm just trying to give some, some basic tenets here. Tell the person they sinned against you. Tell them what they did. And the Bible says here, if he repents... Then forgive him. That's how the Lord works with us. We sin against the Lord. What is the scripture? What is the Holy Spirit? It's a rebuke against our sin. It's, hey, you've sinned. Then we have the fork in the road, the choice to go, nah, I don't care, God. In the same way with our relationships with with each other, we have the option to go, I don't care, get over it. Don't be such a wimp. Sorry about your luck. We can say those things. Or we can sin against someone, get rebuked by them and go, I'm really, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I I sinned against you. And the believer's response, because it's the pattern that we see with the Heavenly Father, is to say, I forgive you that debt. You, You no longer owe me anything. I forgive you of that debt. Now, does that change the relationship? Yeah, in some ways. Does that eliminate consequences? If it's, a, if it's a criminal act, does it void justice through the court systems? Of course not. Does that say no restitution has to happen? 
Well, no, a, a truly repentant person will work to make restitution, will work to make something right. True repentance is not saying, oh, good, now that you've forgiven me, remember, that was no big deal. Like, oh, no, it's, it's, it's still a problem. I, 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 I'm still hurt. That, that still happened. So we see this pattern here in Luke 11, or we see this pattern in Luke 17, 3. It's a very different pattern than I think a lot of pastors and teachers and counselors teach when it comes to forgiveness. And to be very blunt with you, I think it's because we misunderstand the pattern of forgiveness from the Heavenly Father. So someone has sinned against you and you've made it clear that they've sinned against you, that is one of the most frustrating spots to be in when they do not repent. It's very hard. Often what we want to do is someone sins against us, we rebuke them, and they don't repent. We're like, well, I'm taking my forgiveness and I'm going home. You're never getting it. Have a good life. And then we often flip the script and we seek vengeance. Romans 12 says, don't seek vengeance. Don't avenge yourself. God actually says, vengeance is mine. So vengeance belongs to the Lord. But what if you're in the spot where someone has sinned against you? You've communicated to them that they've sinned against you. You're ready to offer forgiveness, but they don't have any repentance. This is where you're stuck. That's a hard spot to be in because you can withdraw that forgiveness and what that will lead to is a bitter heart. The Father extends his forgiveness to us. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we have to do? We have to extend our forgiveness. And this is what I believe our hearts need to be doing. Go to the right and go to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter number two. I'm running out of time, so I need to speed through a couple things here. First Peter 2.23, towards the end of the New Testament. This is about Christ's example in suffering. It says of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And here's what I believe, that, that middle space, that hard spot to be in. We must continue entrusting, and it says of Jesus, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The very next page for me, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 19. Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You've been sinned against, you've communicated that sin. 
The person won't repent. And so you have to emulate the father holding out forgiveness. Not pretending. Not saying it's no big deal. I I believe what we see in the scripture is that we see repentance is interconnected with the giving and receiving of forgiveness. But when someone won't repent, when someone won't acknowledge the pain, that is part of the struggle, the suffering of our fallen world. And we have to entrust ourselves to the Heavenly Father. We have to go back to the Heavenly Father and say, Father, forgive me as I'm forgiving others. Lord, you have embraced me in all of my faults and failures and you love me because of Christ. I'm gonna love other people. And so I'm gonna hold out this forgiveness. And that's hard. It's hard when someone says, I don't think I did wrong to you. Or it wasn't that big of a deal. Or you're remembering wrong and you're like, I can't possibly remember wrong. It haunts me. And so you just feel that pain. And we have to entrust ourselves. Otherwise, if we withdraw that forgiveness, it starts to eat us up. We begin to be bitter, resentful, and angry. One writer said this, and I hope that I can read it and communicate it effectively to you. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last tooth some morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back, In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. How we forgive is directly connected to our understanding of what we've been forgiven. One last story and we'll be done. Go to Luke 7. Luke chapter number 7. And I love hearing the pages of Bibles turn. If you have a phone, if you could download an app that while you're turning makes that sound effect, I would appreciate that. That'd be nice. Luke 7. I want you to follow along in the story with me. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, 
She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. It's a very lavish act of worship. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Some commentators believe this woman is a prostitute. Jesus answering said to him, so think about Jesus answering the internal dialogue of his host, Simon, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Jesus said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they both could not pay, he canceled the debt of both Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. Then in turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus said, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, look at the phrase, which are many. Jesus is not ignoring her sin. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How we forgive, how we love, how we worship the Father is in direct correlation to how we view our sin. How we forgive others is directly connected to the same. One Puritan writer said, There is none so tender to others as they which have received mercy themselves, for they know how gently God has dealt with them. So, my question for you first is Have you been forgiven? Have you come to God through Christ and repented of your sins and believed in Jesus? It's the only way for the burden of your sins that you carried in here today to be relieved.
Because otherwise you stand before God, a man or a woman who cannot pay his debt. And one day you'll stand before God and because you cannot pay your eternal debt, the visual there in Matthew 18 is that you will be sent to the tormentors. That's what hell is. Hell is the eternal punishment, conscious suffering for sin. But if you will come to Christ... You will be forgiven. You will stand before God clean. God forgives us out of his nature, his character. And what's amazing is when we come to know Christ, we become children of God in the same way we now begin to forgive other people out of our new nature. Maybe there's someone who's come to you and said, will you please forgive me? I'm sorry that I did that. And you've looked him in the face and you've said, I will never forgive you. The Sermon on the Mount, and particularly the Lord's Prayer, is a sobering warning to you. Because you are saying to God, God, do the same to me. Believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, forgive only because we have been forgiven. And we forgive each other in the same way that the Heavenly Father has shown forgiveness to us. So my prayer is that if you're not forgiven here, you'll come to Christ. But also maybe you're sitting here and you're withholding forgiveness from a spouse, from a parent, a child, another family member. You, you refuse to. You can't. You've pulled back that forgiveness. And that person has repented to you. Then I want to encourage you at the end of today to go see that person. To call that person to write the letter so you've acknowledged this I release you of this debt but maybe you're like so many others who have extended forgiveness and the person hasn't repented my prayer for you is that you entrust yourself to the Lord the one who judges justly you'll know that's a hard spot to be in. But you'll understand how the Heavenly Father is more and more. Let's pray together.